Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We are in chapter 5, and we hopefully, God willing, will wrap up our reflections into chapter 5. I know yesterday I said we were going to get into the Ministry of Reconciliation, and we will do that for sure, Um, but that will probably be more towards the end of the program because... As I was going back through these verses with more commentaries, I just thought to myself, there's, there's too much here that I have not talked about. So we're going to go back into verses 11 to 21, touch upon things I've already talked about, but certainly go deeper and add some reflections to that. But before we do that, I do just want to continue to thank all of you who are tuning in by way of podcast in the countries of Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, uh, Italy, Portugal, Spain, France, Croatia, uh, India, China, uh, Cameroon, I saw, Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa. I welcome all of you, all of you who are taking time out of your very busy schedules to uh, spend time with me as we reflect into the richness and the beauty that we find in Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth. There is so much here, my friends, so much richness, so much beauty, so many teachings that we can apply to our everyday life. You know, I was going back over these verses we were talking about the past few days, and one of the things I want to do this evening is just go back and do verses 11 to 21 and continue to reflect maybe more thematically this evening with some of the things Paul is saying, I know I was hitting upon some of these themes over the past few days, but there's just still more to be had. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is one of those chapters that has us thinking about so many different things. And I know a number of you out there have said, gosh, Joe, I I hear this program and I am made to go back and reread certain verses and to just spend more time with verses because maybe I didn't see something initially. And one of the things we have to remember is when we invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit, when we call upon the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will unveil to us what we need to see. And what's always fascinating, it's always what we need to see for something we might be going through. What we need to see in a particular situation that we might find ourselves in, huh? And that's how God works. God meets us how He makes us and walks with us as He is. If you are having a tough time, open up the Word of God. Go to 2 Corinthians 5, go to Romans 8, go to any chapter that has touched you before. And it's not a a game of, of religion roulette, you know, where you're just flipping through Bible pages and say, God, speak to me. No, invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit, call upon the gift of the Holy Spirit, and allow the Spirit to speak to you in and through the sacred page. God never, never fails to come through. 
And if you find yourself not getting anything out of it, go deeper. God wants us to go deeper. If we don't hear him, go deeper. Drown out all of that excess noise so that you might hear God speak to you, huh? Okay, so I will go ahead and reread here chapter 5, verses 11 to 21, so that we might have those words and verses fresh in both mind and heart, huh? Okay, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to be proud of us, so that you may be able to answer those who pride themselves on a man's position and not on his heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live, live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. In him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Okay, one of the things that I did uh, last night and this morning, as I had gone back and do some of the commentaries, and in particular, uh, Father Stegman, the Jesuit, you have heard me comment before, and he had some reflections that uh, really touched me, one of which was why we really need to have a proper sense of this fear of the Lord. As he notes here, Paul illustrates well how fear of the Lord serves as a basis for Christian living. In doing so, he avoids two pitfalls. One pitfall is a scrupulosity that is so afraid of offending God that life becomes burdensome and joyless. Now, I don't know if you are that person or if you have met someone like that, but I can tell you I have fallen into that trap, and also I have met a number of people like this. Uh, For me, it's about looking in the mirror. When have I been scrupulous? When have I been joyless? This is not the proper fear of the Lord. If you are a faithful listener to Seeds of Truth, you know the importance of joy. I never miss an opportunity to talk about joy because to be joyless is to be what? Without life. (laughs) Without life. But to be joyful or joy-filled is to be life-giving. Remember, the word joy in its Greek root, charis, is the same root word to grace. Joy and grace, as Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI reminds us, belong together because as God gives us his life-giving grace, his life-giving love, What bursts forth 
joy, joy. Remember that all-important passage that comes to us in the adoration of the Magi. There they arrive upon the infant king in the manger. And what do they do? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. <laughs> the, the Greek isn't passive, but explosive, right? Explosive. This Greek contains dynamite, all right? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were filled with God's love, and so their joy burst forth. They lay prostrate, not because they needed a siesta, right? No, they laid prostrate because in their joy, all they could do is prostrate themselves and worship the infant king. So don't fall into this joyless scrupulosity that binds you and, and on the other side of it leads you to judging others all the time. Not that judgment is wrong per se, but judging what you don't see, yeah, that's wrong. And that can be a byproduct of this joyless scrupulosity. Now, another pitfall, as Father Stegman talks about it here, is this kind of laissez-faire attitude that overlooks God's demands and, and casually presumes upon God's mercy. Paul knew well, my friends, the mercy of God, but he also recognized that he would have to give an account of himself before the heavenly tribunal. So while uh, you might be someone who tends toward justice, there is also that person, and maybe you are this person, that tends more towards mercy. But what you have to be careful of is to never neglect justice. Just as justice should never neglect mercy, so should mercy never neglect justice. Essentially, my friends, they form and inform each other. And it's always important that our mercy be rooted in truth. And so be careful that you don't, in your acts of love, sentimentalize them. That is to say, in your attempt to love, fill them with so much of this emotional indulgence that it leaves you with, without witnessing to truth. This is, I think, a problem today. And so again, Father Stegman is wise here to draw out these two pitfalls, because in the end, what we are made to see is that proper fear of the Lord entails what? Placing ourselves each day in reverent awe before God. That's the fear of the Lord, that reverent awe in the presence of God. This kind of reverence ultimately should energize us and inform all of our decisions, all of our actions as we strive to, what is the word Paul uses? Please God in all things. Please God in all things. All right, how about this danger of valuing appearance? Father Stegman kind of reflects with that phrase that so many today have taken up, images everything. You know, the importance of image in our culture can never be overstated. It is so sobering to realize how much, say, money is spent on trying to project a certain appearance. I'm thinking of the young person especially, how they are particularly susceptible to this need to have the right image. Remember how I've talked about this before, how what is a want has transferred over to the need? 
okay, and suddenly needs and wants become one and the same thing. I mean, we are constantly uh, encouraged to what? Drive the best car, um, belong to this group or, or that group. All of this, which is geared towards projecting an air of what it means to be it, right? What it means to have success, what it means to, to be in the know. Brothers and sisters, do not be that person who too easily allows himself to become enslaved to obtaining markers of popularity and success, markers that are in reality shallow and hollow. I was talking about an aspect of this the other day, focusing in on that word position, consequently prestige and status, this desire to have a certain name, this desire to have a certain brand. Being tied to a brand isn't the worst thing per se, but we have to remember who and what were the first to uh, be branded, but cattle, right? Cattle. Uh, what else was branded? Well, prisoners in Auschwitz. To be branded is to be marked by something. And at the same time, be, to be treated as, let me say, not someone, but something. And that's the problem. So when you're tied to a brand, make sure that you are not treated like something, but someone. You are a human person. So let your aspirations towards a certain position not be caught up in the something, but always in the someone, that someone being the person of Jesus Christ. It is very easy to want to have a place in this world, but we have to constantly challenge ourselves and ask ourselves the question, is this where God wants me? Right? We hang on to certain positions because of how people perceive us, but we have to let go and allow God to work in our lives. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Um, and if you are caught up in that brand, be careful that you're not slipping into becoming shallow and hollow. All of that being said, there are other and more subtle forms of this dynamic. The anxious person asks the question, how will this course of action look to others? So it's just not, say, a position, but how we behave more generally. We are no longer doing what we need to be doing for God and how God perceives it, but for man and how man perceives it. This is a big, big question because really, this is one of those questions that I do think that final conversation is going to be all about because in the end, this gets to the heart of our faith that we have talked about so much, that modus operandi. Why do you do what you do? What operates your motives? Again, so much to be said here in the light of St. Paul's words, because there's so much here. Another interesting note from these verses is the impact that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 had on the great St. Augustine. I want to go back and read verse 15. He indeed died for all, so that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. St. Augustine, after he had his dramatic conversion, wanted to go off and be a hermit. He wanted to live by himself. But it was reflecting upon this verse 
that he decided otherwise. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI acts reflects upon this in his encyclical on hope. If you were to go into paragraph 7, 27, 28, and 29, you will read Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI talking about how this verse influenced St. Augustine and ultimately why St. Augustine was made to live for the church. He, of course, became uh, the great bishop of Hippo and was central to so many great things that were, were going on in the early church. All right, what about this compelling love of Christ? Another point I touched upon, but another point there is more to be said. Many of us are familiar with St. Ignatius's uh, spiritual exercises. During the first week, St. Ignatius comments that we are made to ask three questions while meditating upon our Lord on the crucifix. And they are these three questions. And I absolutely love these questions. What have I done for Christ? What am I doing now for Christ? And what ought I do for Christ? So again, what have I done for Christ? What am I now doing for Christ? And what ought I do for Christ? And so we are made to ask these questions while meditating, contemplating before the crucifix. And in doing so, consider how that kind of divine sacrificial love should urge us, should convict us to in turn give of ourselves in the same way. Remember, <laughs> our Lord teaches us that enough is never enough until it gives 25%, 50%, 75%. No, everything. I mean, how many times have you told yourself, well, I've done so much for this person, or I've done a lot for this friend. In the end, our Lord says, okay, you've done so much for this person, and you've done a lot for this friend, but I'm asking that you give everything, everything as I call you to give. Now, that being said, there is a priority of vocation here. If you are a husband or wife, father, mother, um, you have to be present to your spouse. You have to be present to your kids, for sure. <laughs> for sure. You don't go and serve at the cost of not being present to your spouse and children. But as you are present to your spouse and children, God does call us to give of ourselves. It starts in the family with spouse and children, yes, but he does call us to, to be present to others. So we challenge ourselves, Lord, where are you calling me to give more? And that great challenge is ever before us. Okay, before we wrap up our reflections, I did want to touch upon the ministry of reconciliation. Here we can turn back to verses, let's see here, 18 to 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in these verses, 
most especially this phrase, ministry of reconciliation, especially as it comes to us from the pen of St. Paul, who says he's an ambassador for Christ. We are to interpret this as how the ministry of the apostles are to reunite the human family with the Father. And remember what we have talked about before. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus establish in John chapter 20, verses 20 to 23? Jesus appeared to his disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And here he does something curious, huh? He shares with them the first priest of the new covenant, his own life and his own power. Listen, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What was he doing, my friends? He was establishing them as priests to administer a sacrament. But also, also as judges to pronounce judgment upon the actions of believers. He thus gives them a power exceeding what had formerly belonged to the priest of Israel. You know, the rabbis referred to uh, this ancient priestly power in terms of binding and loosening. And incidentally, Jesus used those very words to describe what he was giving to his disciples. We have to remember something here. For the rabbis, to bind or loose meant what? But to judge someone to be in communion with the chosen people or cut off from the group's life and worship. What Jesus is doing here is he is establishing these apostles as ministers of the new covenant. And in particular, he is establishing the ministry of reconciliation, that ministry which reunites man with God, this powerful, powerful sacrament. So all of that being said, we have to remember that Jesus was not merely transferring authority. In bringing this old office to its fulfillment, he was adding a new dimension. Remember, he doesn't abolish the law, but he transforms it, perfects it, right? No longer would the authorities pass a, a sentence that was merely earthly. Since the church shares in the power of God incarnate, her power would extend as far as the power of God. This is why he says what he says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There in Matthew 18, verse 18, he's echoing John chapter 20, verse 23. Brothers and sisters, we have the obligation to carefully consider what Jesus is saying in these words. And part of that careful interpretation is the need to roll up our sleeves and see how one text illuminates the next. And once you begin to go deeper and deeper and deeper, what you begin to see is that there is this continuity, not only between the old and new and how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment to the prophetic thrust of the Old Testament, but also how what Jesus Christ comes to establish in the sacramental church is in continuity with the New Testament. Because those first Christians, the early Christian church, was bearing witness 
to the New Testament. We have talked about this a great deal in the context of when Jesus Christ himself uses the phrase the New Testament, when he says, this is the blood of the New Testament. For the first few centuries, when you heard the phrase New Testament, you didn't tie it to a book per se, comprised of 27 chapters. No, it was the body of Christ. The New Testament, well, was what Christ said it was, his own flesh and blood. And the early Christian church bears witness to what is in what we now know, the New Testament. How important is that for us to appreciate, especially as we reflect into the sacrament of reconciliation, because once again, we find how the sacrament of reconciliation bears witness to Christ's own words. What were our Lord's commandments? Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love neighbor as yourself. Yeah, that's one. But what about the great commandment, do this in remembrance of me, when he was instituting the Eucharist? What about this great commandment to forgive sins? Right? He is commanding the apostles to do something, and so what do they do? Do it. They do it. Interpret sacred scripture for what sacred scripture says, as opposed to something other than what sacred scripture says. All of us, and, and I'm included, <laughs> have to be humble before sacred scripture. Have to remember that sacred scripture is divine revelation, that something has been revealed outside of us. And as it has been revealed outside of us, we are made to come to understand what it is for, well, what it is. We never leave our interpretations of sacred scripture to what is arbitrary, what we think. Certainly, we engage sacred scripture in the subjective sense. We are persons. Yeah, and our Lord communicates himself to us, to the very concreteness and particularity of whatever we might be going through. But there's an objective reality to sacred scripture. And this we are made to study so as to better understand. All right, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, whatever it might be, please send them my way. You can go to my email at jholljmj at yahoo.com. Or as always, you can go to my website at joholcraft.org. That's two L's, H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T.org. Just send your question or message on its way. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we just give you another thanks and praise for the gift of another evening an evening that has allowed us to wrap up our reflections with chapter 5. So many insights to be gained. We just ask for the grace that we take these insights that you have revealed, um, that we might integrate them and become more whole in you, that we might become more holy in you. We pray these things in your most holy name. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.